Welcome, Infinite Guest. This is Top Score, a weekly visit with contemporary composers who make video game soundtracks. I'm Emily Reese. Composer Silas Height visited St. Paul, Minnesota for some composing workshops a little while back, but I was out of town. So my colleague Garrett Tiedemann spoke to Silas for Top Score. Garrett is a composer and filmmaker here in St. Paul. He also works at St. Catherine's University. We call that St. Kate's around here. And Silas has done quite a bit of work in film and television. He also scored a bunch of games for Electronic Arts, which uh, you might or might not know is also referred to as EA. Okay, this is kind of a long intro, so I'm going to give you a little dance break. Okay, stop dancing. It's time to listen. During Silas and Garrett's chat, you're going to hear them talk about stems. Okay, so in games, music tends to build in layers. There, Let's just use a, a super simple example, like uh, a low cello might start. And then on top of that, after you hear just that cello for a minute, a violin might come in, and then on top of that, maybe some percussion, and then on top of that. So there are these layers that build, and uh, those layers are made by the composer separately so that the developer can add them together or subtract them how they see fit. Those layers are called stems. So when a composer finishes writing a track for a game, they send several stems to the developer for each single track. Now you're ready to hear Silas Height and Garrett Tiedemann. My name is Silas Height. I've been scoring video games, films, commercials, and television shows for about 12 years now, professionally. Um, I started playing drums when I was a kid, when I was about 11, and quickly started picking up other instruments after that, guitar, bass, and then uh, was in choir in high school. And in college, uh, studied percussion performance and composition, um, especially experimental composition. And there was a recording studio on campus that I interned at for a few years because I was really into that. And uh, along the way, I realized I didn't really enjoy performing other people's music so much. And I really liked writing my own and coming up with my own stuff. And I felt like my strong suit was really creativity and I had a good ear for it. And what really interested me was the different styles and genres of music and production and what made them tick, you know, uh, the different rhythms and melodies and instruments and things like that from around the world and even just music styles. And so it became clear that I, to me, that I should be a composer. idea of composing for you know film tv games and stuff like that because there's an element of um, collaboration there Mm -hmm. because you're you know working with other people to create this bigger thing rather than just writing a piece you know for yourself or by yourself for an ensemble 
So I also had one shot that was my foot in the door. My uncle Mark um, Mothersbaugh owns a studio called Mutato Musica in Hollywood and had been scoring films and, and TV shows and games and all of that for years. And so when I graduated, before, before I graduated, I went out and visited him and I said, Mark, I'm graduating. This is, you know, what I want to do. Will you give me a shot? You know, and he was, I didn't really know him all that well at the time. And so, you know, he was a little hesitant because they weren't looking to hire anybody, but I, I think he could tell that I was very serious about it. And he agreed to give me a trial run an internship. And I, you know, I promised that by the end of that time that he would see that I was a really hard worker and that, you know, that I could do this. And I started out as an intern, walking the dog, making coffee and whatnot. And uh, slowly I would get, you know, chances to write for commercial demos, things like that. Uh, my Uncle Bob was working on All Grown Up, which was a Rugrats spinoff. Yeah. And he asked um, myself and another composer there, John Enroth, to sort of take over. And so we scored some episodes with him. And, you know, so the producers and directors could get used to working with us and he could sort of show us how he'd been doing it. And then, you know, they went on tour and we took over. And when he came back, he was um, happy to sort of take a little bit more of a backseat role. And then after that, you know, I think Mark saw that we could score TV shows. And so I was doing a lot more TV and film. And at this time, it was a lot of teamwork. We would all sort of be writing a lot of cues for whatever it was. In this case, I'll bring it back to video games. Uh, the first one was The Sims 2. Basically, you know, we would get the materials from the audio director, who in this case was Robbie Cocker. You know, you would get, let's say, a description of a level and some some artwork, like the character artwork, the artwork of the the concept artwork for the what the um, background is going to look like, what the setting will be. And then he would say, you know, I'm sort of thinking something lighthearted, family friendly, fun. And because there's a team of us, we would all write tracks that we thought would fit that description and then we would send it to him and then he would pick what he liked and we would develop it from there. So we'd just do like a, you know, a one minute kind of sketch of what it would be. Right. Right. And then he would pick it and if he liked it, we'd develop it into, you know, whatever it was, a four minute track or something. And then eventually, you know, with recording real players and that sort of thing. And then would you, through that process, would you eventually send them like the finished piece plus stems so that they could cut it up if they needed to? Or was it more you would send them a track and that was the track that was going to be mastered and used in the game? Um, we would deliver both the final mix and stems. Okay. They were really hands-on and quite knowledgeable and had a great um, audio setup at EA. Okay. And still do. Um, so they did want that flexibility in case something changed in the game that they would want to tweak the mix or something. And then they would also handle the mastering. Okay. So I don't know how much of the mix they would tweak or if, you know, you, we did a lot of back and forth with the final mixes with them before they would sign off on it. So I would like to think that most of the time they would use our final mixes and then just master them. But you know, that we'd always deliver stems as well, which is pretty typical, whether it's a game, film, TV, 
commercial anything really. So then from there, I guess a good segue is how do you get to Boom Blocks? and successful one within that yes. video game style. Uh, Boomblox was also EA, but it was uh, we were working with a different audio director, um, Brad Foch, who's a nice guy. And we did Boomblox, and then part two was called Boomblox Bash Party. And that was an interesting game because uh, Steven Spielberg decided he wanted to try video games, getting into video games. And so he partnered with EA for these games, and he his concept was, well, what is... What do everyone? What does everyone like to do, from kids to adults? And his thought was, they like building stuff, and they like breaking stuff. And so this whole game is centered around this building and breaking. It was a Wii game, of course, so mm-hmm. it was great for you know you could throw balls or bombs or even pick up like sheep and throw them and things like that. I think the music direction was basically like we just want this to be really fun and accessible and entertaining. And the music is going to be, you know, probably like four minutes long and then loop, you know, so, you know, it's a fair amount of time. Um, And we just want it to be creative. And, you know, sometimes you get that directive, this, we want this to be creative. Like people (laughs) like to say that, but it doesn't always really mean that creative, right? Um, There's varying degrees of that, but within, but in this case, um, they really meant it. And so there was a lot of like fun vocal samples worked in like totally goofy, ridiculous stuff. I was doing a lot of character voices just mixed into the music. Really? Yeah. So how does that then, like if you're looking at a game level that you're playing, Mm -hmm. how does that present itself then? Like, is it even noticeable or does it just really have a symbiosis with the rest of the sound effects? Uh, you know, it's not so much a sound effect and it's not linked to someone you're seeing on screen or a character at all. It's just part of the music. Okay. So, for example, it might be like, you know, a melody that was being played on the um, whatever instrument, a violin or something, and then I would just be, you know, a vocal, something totally goofy, like... You know, seriously, stuff that goofy. <laughs> kind of bass sounds like dong dong ba dong 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 you know you have like a vocal takeover for the bass for a while or something like that Uh, and a lot of um snapping a lot of uh i think there was some whistling if i if i recall um but we were and clapping i i seem to remember once we started doing that i don't know if it was brad's idea or our idea but we wanted to work in these sort of human sounds Mm -hmm. and my philosophy over the years has developed such that I, I feel like anytime you can work in more human sounds, um, whether it's the sound of a player actually playing the instrument rather than a sample, that's great. Or, you know, if you can work in finger snaps, claps, whistles, uh, vocal noises, 
it seems to really draw people into the music because there's that human element, you know, that they can relate to. Was the process for boom blocks pretty much the same as you had for Sims where you would, you would, were you working with the team again? And so then you'd send in ideas and they would say go, and then you'd make longer tracks or was it different? The process for boom blocks was pretty similar to the Sims where we would all write tracks um, and then send them in and they would pick. What we found with all the different games is um, usually an audio director would sort of develop a fondness for your sound, whatever that was. Even though our sounds weren't wildly different, you know, they would sort of settle on one composer and that composer would tend to have the majority of the tracks in any given game. I feel like that was kind of the case of the Boom Blocks games um, that I had a lot of tracks in there. But, you know, overall, like throughout the years, it was pretty spread out over, you know, certain people would be kind of the favorites for different games. Um, and But the thing is, we would all use somewhat similar palettes because you do want to present a cohesive whole overall in terms of the musical score. making sure that our music sounded um, like it came from one entity or maybe not one person, but, you know, it could be one person. And even to this day, I'll listen to tracks and have to stop and ask myself, did I write that or did, you know, John write that or did Mark write that? And I, it'll take me a minute to remember until I hear like a maybe a signature style or like little bit of production that I did differently than them at the time or something like that. And then I'll be like, oh, that was my track. You know? Right. <laughs> so how how did you... I guess when you were starting, how easy was it to kind of fit into the idea that you were part of a larger structure? And so while you yourself did have a distinct voice, mm-hmm. it wasn't your own studio mm-hmm. and it wasn't just you doing it. I think it was pretty easy, actually, because the overall voice was supposed to be representative of Mark. And so most of the time they were coming to us for a very creative, left of center types of music. And so a lot of times we would approach it you know, how would Mark do this? But for me, um, I feel like, you know, if I, if I may, that we have a lot in common, he and I, and our creative styles are, you know, I'm not going to say the same, but we have a lot of, we're attracted to a lot of the same things like unusual instruments and, you know, I don't know, putting melodies and bass lines and things like that, just all kinds of different things where I feel like there's a lot of overlap or we're drawn to similar things musically. So for me, it was really easy. And I think a reason I had so much success there was I was able to write a lot of stuff that appealed to people that, you know, they came to Mutato to get Mark's sound Mm -hmm. and I was able to help with that, you know, and a lot of times we were collaborating hands on with Mark on the same, you know, right on the same tracks, depending on the projects. And then other projects we were giving, given a little bit more autonomy, but overall, yeah, they were coming for that sound, which to me was great. However, then when I left Mutato about four years ago or so, it was really fun to then be able to push, you know, where, what's my sound and start to, you know, really push it out into my direction more and hone that, um, free from any other umbrella and then get more work based on stuff that I did that I felt like was, you know, more representative of me. Thank you. 
lot of times my stuff is very uh, percussion heavy or comes from <clears throat> comes from that world and I think it's you know my background was studying percussion and experimental composition in college so I do use a lot of that as a foundation not all the time I mean I'm still writing you know strictly string pieces or I mean even dubstep or hip-hop or whatever but a lot of times you know, I'm using a marimba as a bass, as a bass instrument, and um, as in B-A-S-E. vibraphone or you know I, I have tons of percussion instruments in my studio that I record on to I record myself you know playing on tracks to not only give that human feel of someone actually playing but you know it's it's just what I'm drawn to right what do you think it is about this not only percussion but then even specifically like the marimba or the vibraphone that really has attached itself to you and why are you drawn to it I think um, at least for the marimba I think it's because uh, it's not only percussive, but it's also melodic at the same time. It's a lot like a piano in some ways. Um, you can really do a lot with just just more focusing on the rhythmic aspects of using it, or just on the on the melodic aspects. And I, I mean, I guess any instrument is that way to an extent. You know, most instruments. But um, I studied that one specifically in college. And there's something about being in a room with a five octave marimba and playing it where you really feel the energy of it. And it's it's just a powerful experience. Do you feel like it's it's more of an extension of yourself? In yeah. that instead of where some instruments, it's like you're playing them and you're getting a sound, but you almost don't have that sort of almost vibration going through your body? Yeah, yeah. And I, that's one reason that, you know, I started with drum set and I still play a lot of drum set. And one reason I love the drums is it really feels like an extension of yourself. It's so, so physical. Mm-hmm. And a lot of melodic instruments, I feel like, aren't so much. You're not really feeling the vibration coming back as much, you know. Uh, but the marimba does, like, it envelops you while you're playing it. <clears throat> and uh, so you do have a bit of that experience. I imagine it's especially true if you're in a small room with it. Yeah, <laughs> which, you know, this was in college, so it was in a small practice room, right. which was actually great for that application. find it was when you went to Mutato that you actually got your feet wet with that? Mutato. I mean, I did write a little bit in college mostly because I knew I wanted to go into scoring and I, you know, would be trying to get a job and needed examples of things I'd written. So I did write some stuff that I played for Mark. I'm sure they weren't very good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they were first attempts mostly. Did you find that working at Mutato there was sort of a sound that was sort of driven more for television and one more for film and one more for games there was some crossover like um a lot of people came to mutato after uh rushmore and the royal tannenbaums and life aquatic and sort of wanted that 
that sort of sound palette and approach to the music, you know, the feeling that that music gave to those projects, they wanted it on their project. And it was not only films, but um, commercials, even some video game probably and TV. And so a lot of times it was sort of applying that to these different medias. But really one of the best parts about working there was it was the ver- the the work was so varied. I mean, they a lot of people knew that Mark could pull off whatever style of music he wanted to, you know. Um, and so they would bring us stuff and that was just all over. And it was great because sometimes it was very mainstream. Like, you know, we just need straight ahead hip hop tracks. Why they came to Mark for that, I don't know, but we would do it. I mean, they must have just known that, yeah, he could do that, of course. Um, and and then for other things, it would be, uh, you know, more like, can you do something that's very similar to the Wes Anderson style of scoring, you know, or more Devo-esque. You know, we want some, some really cool, you know, late 70s punk um, art rock stuff, you know, with synths. And so... The, the variety was what was really appealing about it. you've done you started moving into trailers for sims games correct yeah so recently i've been doing a lot of trailers for the sims 4 games and even some internal stuff for ea like trailers just within their own company okay but you know they only do so many games a year so you can only score so many video games but they know that i also have a big background in commercials and so they kind of wanted to put that to use one of the things most recently came out was this game finger frenzy Mm -hmm. for mobile Mm mm-hmm so in comparison to, say, Boomblocks, where you had this kind of big, expansive mm-hmm. game, how is working in mobile and how did, what did they expected from you? How was that process different? Well, it's, it's a lot simpler. It's okay. much simpler because they've only got, you know, a few tracks. You know, they're only hiring me to write a few tracks. And so they would sort of just give me some concept art and let me download to my iPhone, like a beta version of the game. And, you know, I'd play it a little bit and sort of it really most mostly I'm what I'm getting from that is looking at the visuals and determining, you know, what I think the best musical representation of those visuals are, you know, or looking at the concept art. Uh, and basically what I'll do is, you know, I would have a conversation with their audio director and he would say, uh, you know, we need a, a menu, a piece of music for a menu that's probably less energetic. And then we need a, a piece of music to play under this level that's more energetic and, you know, it needs to be really happy and frantic and we're thinking kind of modern, but also quirky, you know, and so there's a lot of those kind of conversations, which is typical of any game or film or anything, you know, where they're just kind of giving you descriptors to go by and then you just have to translate it to music. Beyond saying like things they don't like, do they ever guide you on things they think might be better? Yeah, and that's really nice. Um, that's where the fact that most of these audio directors have audio backgrounds comes in really handy because then they sort of become 
more like collaborators or at least at the at, or at least they're giving you typically good ideas to try do you ever as you, you know you play beta versions and things like that do you ever involve yourself much considering what the sound design itself is already doing or is if it's in place like how mm-hmm. and how your music then would work with that yeah um you know sometimes there's sound design and then I'll, I will think about it. And if there's not, I'll ask, will there be sound design? How much, what's it doing? Can Mm -hmm. I hear it or not? And I do try and think about it. Um, but most of the time, I don't know. A lot of times you don't have access to it. Okay. Do you find, um, that video games take you less time or more time than say television or film? I mean, obviously it varies by the size of the project, but yeah. Um, the the schedules let's just talk about the console games because those okay. are um i've done the most of those and it's sort of easier to talk about there they usually have pretty long schedules like it could be six months okay which is great you know because <laughs> i'm used to commercials where it's like 24 hours you know um or tv whereas you got a day or two to write a whole episode um so i love that um the pieces of music are longer a lot of times you know two to four minutes or something but you're not really so concerned with there being dialogue right. uh, that you have to worry about. So it's more about writing a piece of music that's interesting, but not so interesting that it gets annoying after that person's played it, you know, 40 times that level. Um, I think I can write uh, for video games. I think I write very quickly because it's a, it's more creative and wide open Okay. and you're not really dealing with the picture at all. You know, it's more about just creating the right mood and atmosphere and that sort of thing because the picture is going to be changing depending on what the character is doing, right? Right. So you don't have to worry about hitting certain moments, which frees you up so much. I think that's it, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Top Score. Top Score is part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. Learn more by following Infinite Guest on Twitter. You can also learn more about composer Silas Haidt and see a playlist from this episode at infiniteguest.org. And you can listen to our other programs there, too, at infiniteguest.org, like Home Dunk with John Moe or Secret Skin with Open Mike Eagle. Top Score's production assistants are Pierce Huxtable and Nina Paddock. Mark Hintz mixes each episode. Top Score is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts, Art Works. Follow Top Score on Twitter and Facebook at Top Score Podcast. That's Top Score. I'm Emily Reese. <laughs>